listeners, and welcome once again to another episode of PFL, Pod for Life, your Tennessee football podcast. I am your host, David Ubbin. I am here, as always, with uh, our co-host, Joe Rexrode, the Athletic Nashville's columnist. If you like the show, uh, go to uh, Apple's podcast app, rate us, review, leave us a, uh, you know, a nice review, subscribe, and uh, it always helps the show. Uh, Joe, you've had a busy month, uh, the Titans chasing them around. Before we get into that other team in Tennessee, uh, what's, uh, how, would you, uh, how would you assess the, the Titans run and, and what that has sort of meant to uh, the state and, and Nashville as a whole? Well, it's amazing, David, just to think of football in general in this state, you know, as of January compared with October. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a lot of basketball and hockey talk by about now, but uh, both of those teams, the Vols and the Titans, and it's funny because I, I do I go back to that same weekend in Florida. Uh, you know, for me it was a Thursday night in Jacksonville and then a Saturday in Gainesville, and you're watching them both, and you're saying, man, they are both in trouble at quarterback. They're both not looking good in terms of the postseason. And in different ways, of course, they both address that position and, you know, did, did good things. And, of course, for the Titans, talking about the AFC Championship game, I definitely did not expect that. So I think it's – I mean, it's, I, I certainly – I found out, David, that, like, apparently everyone around here in Nashville has Titans gear and they've just kept it stashed away somewhere. And, like, the last – couple weeks it's like a lot of it's been dusted off there's been some new stuff but a lot of it looks like some old dusted off stuff but it was pretty cool to see the uh the city captured like that so um you know you're talking you compare those two teams i mean they're the two most followed football teams in the state certainly there's i don't think it's close still you're talking about a 20 year old pro team compared with you know the fan base that follows the vols and has for decades and decades um but this, this is one of those things that helps build a fan base for sure mm-hmm. yeah it's uh it's been interesting to watch the eddie george jerseys were uh, uh were out there i'm sure <laughs> but uh yeah <laughs> joe i want to start off the top we are obviously uh, at the athletic we are very uh, protective over our uh, over our numbers but i can tell you that this the story that i wrote uh, in conjunction with tom mars last week was was one of the most read things that i've that i've written in in uh, in my time at the athletic, it was an interesting conversation. I can get into some more of, of those details and and uh, and maybe some things that, that didn't make the piece. But when you sort of looked at it, what jumped out to you um, about uh, that conversation with Tom Mars and, and the Cade Mays situation? You know, relative especially to to what we talked about uh, last week. Yeah, well, uh, of course, you know, Mars says that. Uh... You know the the three and a half million dollar lawsuit won't play in a play any role in the waiver case, and I you know I think most of the world is going to roll their eyes at that um, and look at this as and they're they're going to you know they're going to link those things in their minds. I mean it, it's a pretty easy link to make, um, but you know I mean it's uh, I mean this is a separate this is a it's a pretty big lawsuit. I mean, that's a significant amount of money, you know. Um, so it's just, I mean, the whole thing is, uh, <laughs> it's really going to be interesting as we move forward. 
um, you know, how, how this goes and, and how much of a distraction it is and, and where it goes from here. But, uh, uh, you know, I, some of the comments that Mars gave you, you know, I'm not interested in trashing UGA. There's no benefit in doing that. Um, you know, if UG wanted to try to, th this case in the press, I'd be happy to. I'm sure he would, uh, but I don't think they want to. Um, it, 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 I don't know where it goes from here, but but that's that's some really interesting stuff. Some world class saber rattling, I thought. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I think I think the main things that I took away, you know, his unwillingness to explain and and offer more details um, was obviously interesting. It's an interesting choice. You know, he'd like to say it's out of respect for Georgia, but I will say that that his window into the process and there's not many lawyers who understand this process more than him you know the variance in compliance offices is is not something that i had ever even thought about previously um and he had talked about some other schools that brought him in to consult and and offer help with appeals um and also i asked him point blank if he was part of tennessee's efforts with aubrey solomon last year he did not really want to talk about that and didn't really answer it. But, um, you know, if I am uh, using my journalism skills, uh, I, I think he had some help there. I think he was he was involved in that. Um, so it's, uh, you know, and that was obviously a successful situation. He did say that Tennessee's compliance office is, is uh, one of the best. You know, he called Ohio State the gold standard. But I think as we've talked about it, and I have said this, and, and other people have said it as well, they're frustrated with the the what he would call perceived inconsistencies with the NCAA's office. It, you can chalk some of that up to a differing quality of waiver uh, requests and the documentation and the argumentation on the part of the compliance for the athlete. I think that's really interesting because I think people think – oh, your argument is like a sentence. Well, this happened to him, or this is why he should get a waiver. It's really complicated. He was talking about some waiver requests are, you know, a player's statement and like three pages. And said some are like 300 pages. He said Cade Mays will probably be somewhere in the middle. When you're getting down to brass tacks here, I, I think ultimately we're still talking about a situation that I think ends in a way that Tennessee will be happy with and that I'm sure will be frustrating for for some in Georgia uh, but it was a fascinating conversation um, wide-ranging we ended up talking for like an hour um, and and uh, there's not a lot of folks that will talk in detail about these things and he said you know I've said things that, that I haven't told anybody before because nobody's really asked and I think some of the process and the details of this process get um, Lost in translation, so it was interesting to get a window into that into that world that he obviously knows pretty well. Yeah, and I'll admit, David, I, I hadn't really thought about it in those terms. I've thought about it exactly the way he said. I've thought about it in terms of what what are these people doing? They're just randomly, you know, making you know, approving one that that looks this way and not approving one that looks the other another way. It still seems to me like whatever the case is should be pretty simple and shouldn't take a lot of lawyering but hey i mean if you could if you've got mounds of paper to back your your case up i mean you know in some cases i suppose um you know that that will help and and it's interesting to think of this in terms of you know different compliance offices and and the job they do um 
with that. I, I still feel like it should, in some cases, it should be very simple. And I think we could do, we've, we've talked about this many times, we could do away with all this with the one-time transfer. But that is, it, it is interesting. Um, and it, it'd, be, it'd be really interesting to be able to see, like, some of the full submissions, you know, in some of these cases and, and, and what all they entail. But, yeah, I mean, that's, for, obviously, you go into this and you're thinking of the Mays case and you come away with, as you said, uh, a glimpse at this. And I, I had never read or, or really heard some of the, these things before. Yeah, it is um, wide-ranging. And I think, too, you know, the Cade Mays case is an interesting one, but but one that is, you know, he called it unique. Um, we'll see how it sort of plays out. But I, I, I think, um, you know, one thing I heard in the wake of that as he was talking about, you know, the compliance offices can be really bad is – you know, listen. I respect some uh, some snark and and skepticism as much as anybody, um, but the idea that oh he's trying to drum up business, he's the same guy that's that's uh, been a proponent of of the waiver rule um, being done away with and having one free transfer. You know, I think he knows that this system is messed up. He compared it in a piece to Frankenstein's monster that they've sort of tinkered and messed around, and then all of a sudden you have this system that everyone hates. Like you will not find anybody in college sports who is super happy about the waiver rule. It's a lot of hassle. There is, you know, whether or not you want to talk about why that inconsistency is happening, there's a lack of understanding on the part of the coaches and players for why some players get waivers and some do not and why some get it very quickly and some do not. There's a bottleneck issue in there as well. The NCAA's Legislative Relief Office is, is overwhelmed um, with waiver requests, and, and this is, you know, because it's sort of a shoot-your-shot sort of situation. But, um, you know, this will be uh, an interesting thing to, uh, to to check out. And again, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you should check out that piece. I think it's interesting. Uh, Joe does as well. Uh, we may be biased, but uh, again, a lot of folks uh, were checking that out. Uh, switching gears, Joe, this week, it's Depth Charts Week uh, at The Athletic. Uh, our first look, our college football team, we've got um, somewhere north of uh, 50,000 people writing about college football, and we're all looking at depth charts this week. When you look at Tennessee's uh, offense, any any guys or specific positions that sort of stand out to you as the most intriguing uh, offensively? Well, I mean, I, you know, I think wide receiver is – I mean, that's the, that's the one position offensively that – to me, you've, you've got some serious, you know, making up to do for some big, big losses. Um, you're not going to make up overall on this roster for all of what Jawan Jennings brought. But, you know, the playmaking of Jennings and, and Marquez Calloway, uh, obviously a big part of, of, of this past team. So, um, to me, it's like who emerges? Um, we talked... Uh, you know, last week about uh, Jones, a transfer from from USC, uh, maybe bringing a speed element that uh, you know m- might really give them a different dimension. Um, you know, I think Josh Palmer is a very nice place to start, and to me, uh, he's a guy who you would hope he would take another step. But then, you know, Ramel Keaton, we saw flashes. I think Brandon Johnson with the red shirt—that's that's. that's 
I think, a decision that could really pay off for him and for them. But still a lot of unknown there. And then does someone else, you know, jump up? Um, You know, I think also, you know, tight end. um, Princeton What do you even do there? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that. yeah. I mean, that's, you know, the offensive line, we talked about this. It could be just, you know, just outstanding. but it's it's that passing game, the pa- the passing personnel that I think is going to be a, a heavy focus during spring ball, and obviously that's also Mr. Bailey is going to be uh, closely examined. Yes, that's that's Harrison Bailey, the uh, new recipient of the Rivals Five Star, which is definitely not art, definitely not arbitrary, and definitely not a marketing tool for Rivals' recruiting rankings, but. <laughs> I, you know, all that stuff, whatever, you know, stars, it's like he was a four star at the end of the season. Now he's a five star because I don't know. They looked at it again. Whatever. It doesn't matter. He's going to be a a good player. Most likely. I said in my sort of uh, 2020 predictions and also my, my uh, depth chart, I, I still think that, that the only person who controls how much Harrison Bailey plays or how much Brian Maurer plays is Jarek Garantano. Maybe Harrison Bailey walks in and he's a generational player. He'll be uh, the, the highest signee or the highest rated signee that Tennessee has ever had at quarterback. Uh, higher, obviously, than Garantano. Higher than Peyton Manning. Higher than Jonathan Crompton. Uh, I believe James Banks is the, uh, the highest other rated guy. He'll be the highest rated signee they've ever had. I, I I feel bad for these guys a lot of the time because fans, they want him to walk in and be Trevor Lawrence and be, hey, this guy, oh, he, should, he can already play in the NFL. And I've seen, you know, I went down to Marietta uh, for our subscribers who check that out or if you haven't, go back and, and read that story. I went down to Marietta. I've seen Harrison up close, seen him, uh, you know, play, seen him uh, practice. And I, I, you know... I liked what I saw. I think he looks the part. He's a big kid, uh, big arm. He's got everything that you would want. He, he absolutely looks like a college quarterback already. But there's a mental aspect there of not only making decisions but understanding the offense and, and managing the offense. And that is where Garantano separates himself. I, I understand all the frustration. Uh, you know, In my predictions, I said I think Garantano starts, barring injury, of course, all 13 games this year. You probably would disagree with that perhaps. But I, I, I just think I would caution fans from putting too much expectations too soon on Bailey. I, I think Garantano took some steps late in the season. I think he continues those next year uh, and hangs on to this job. And then 2021, you know, maybe Maurer can fight for that. I, you know, maybe JT Shrout or Maurer are, are, are both still on the roster and they want to have a, a competition in 2021. We'll see if Kasim Hill factors into that. My money is on Bailey in the future uh, as the guy of the future, but as far as the immediate present, I, I still think the gap between Garantano and the rest of the guys on this roster is, is still pretty wide when you think about more so than just the production, which was also, the gap was also pretty wide, um, but just understanding this offense. And so that will be obviously a, a storyline in the spring. We won't, I'm sure we won't hear Jerry Pruitt crowning him in the same way they did last year, but um, I, I'm intrigued to see how this plays out. Yeah, and I don't uh, look. I'm not disagreeing. Like, I certainly could see Garantano. I agree. He'll. De- I think he'll definitely start as the starter. And if he starts all 13 games, that won't shock me. I mean, that that speaks of his performance. But 
and I think that means he took another step, and that's good for Tennessee. And you've got a senior starter quarterback, and and that's a good place to be. And the thing with Bailey is, it's just I totally agree. Like you just don't know. There are sometimes these guys come in and they just get stuff, and they're so physically ready. And you know, you maybe you simplify a few things here and there, but it's like this is this is the answer. You know, we're better off with this guy. That's not likely to happen. More likely. You need that year on campus with everything, not just the system, being a college student. I mean, all that stuff. Most people aren't ready to just come right in and handle that, especially in a high-pressure situation like this, like playing at Tennessee or another, you know, an SEC school or Big Ten school. I mean, it's usually it takes a little time. You got to keep an open mind either way on it. But I do think that, that Jeremy Pruitt, has demonstrated that he, you know, he will, I think he's more likely to make moves on quarterbacks like other positions than some coaches are. And so, you know, we'll see. I think this could go a lot of different ways next year. And, and Maurer is, is going to be somewhat overlooked because it's the senior and it's the hotshot freshman. But I, but Maurer could make a huge jump this offseason. I mean, that's the whole, whether he ends up here or somewhere else down the road, this is a big, big winter for him to make a jump. So, and I and I think he has a lot of talent. I really do. He's got he's got a moxie. He's he's, he's got obviously he's got to refine some things. But I just wouldn't totally dismiss him. And I think some fans probably will. Yeah, I, I just think with Garantano, I think people focus a lot on the frustration and all the things that they don't like. Uh, I think I've made the Russell Westbrook comparison before, but I think you're still you're still talking about a guy who's a fifth-year senior who's played 30 games and is in his first time in the second year of a system. Um, and so we'll see. We'll see. Switching gears to defense, who who jumps out to you on defense as either a position battle or a guy that, that you're very intrigued by um, as we sort of look across the, the depth chart of this uh, this season? Well, I mean, Quavaris Crouch is a guy that, to me, it's, you know, how much of a jump can he make, you know? Obviously, he uh, was an awfully good uh, goal line running back for this team as a freshman, and and you saw some good things from him, uh, you know, defensively. But that's a guy, you know. Look, like most people, like, same sort of thing. It's not the exact same as quarterback, but like Henry Toto. I mean, he was exceptional as a freshman. He was. You just don't see too many guys coming in like that out of high school and able to grasp all the things he did. And as guys were telling us after the bowl game, I mean, he's out there making calls along with Petuli. Like, he's being vocal and totally understanding the full picture of things. You don't see that very often. A guy like Crouch, who I think has a world of talent, you know, another year um, in another offseason and spring ball and all that stuff, you know, that he could be a dynamic, I think, defender for this team next year. That's, that's one who certainly jumps out at me. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what they do with him. I think that middle linebacker spot is one that stands out to me because obviously Batuli leaves behind a big uh, a big hole. I, I think Toto can handle the, the mental aspect of that. I think he'll be fine. I, I think he does everything that they want him to. But what they do with that opposite spot, is J.J. Peterson, is he finally going to make an impact? Do you move Crouch inside permanently and say, maybe you go outside like Batuli did in some pass rush situations, but you're going to live in the middle 
or your newcomers, Bryson Eason, Martavius French. Those guys are not early enrolling, but you know who else didn't early enroll? Henry Toto. <laughs> he managed okay. Um, and so maybe he ha- he takes that, that role that Batuli did where he's making calls and handling things, and then Toto is the guy or the other linebacker is the guy who takes that Toto Toto role from last year where maybe he makes them sometimes, but you're not asking him to do as much and, and be as much of a chess master. And then, of course, too, we're not talking enough about Emmett Gooden. Uh, the defensive line made a made a huge jump, and I, I think, you know, as we look at who Tennessee is going to be next year and what they're going to do, I mean, Gooden, you went from an offensive defensive line that I'm not sure it had any NFL guys last year to now you have a uh, Gooden's a bona fide prospect, and then of course you bring in some young guys, Dominic Bailey, Omari Thomas. We'll see if those guys mature and, and look like NFL guys when they show up. But Gooden is 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 a, a ready made guy, and I think that will be uh, his impact. I don't think you can you can understate it at all. Yeah, and you know when he got hurt in fall camp, I think we both thought, oh. Boy, yeah, you know, that's just a, it's a, and it looked, you know, it looked in September like like they're just not going to be able to make up for it. But the, you know, they had some guys come on and, and and play better, and they, you know, I mean, they've got some, you know, some good depth guys and some numbers there at least. You know, Garland and Bumpus and Simmons. I mean, they've got some guys that they can rotate in there. Um, and again, if some people make steps, and then Gooden is what they hope he is. You know that makes that makes a big difference. That front seven looks like you know more like an SEC front seven. Uh, Joe, last week we talked about Uraj Plavsic, and they really ruined the podcast shortly after. Uh, <laughs> well, and, I, and there's a chance it may happen again for our listeners. We're recording this on Tuesday evening. Tennessee does not uh, does not tip off until 11:45 this evening. Super late game, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, what have you made of, of his his impact, and and does that affect what you think of the next what six seven weeks of, of Tennessee basketball as they sort of try to stay alive in the tournament hunt? Certainly, it, it affects it, and and uh, I'm not projecting all he's all of a sudden going to be like a fifteen and eight guy every night, but they they just so badly needed another big body in there to help. I mean, poor John Fulkerson is uh, running around out there throwing his body all over the place, and it's just, he needed some help. And, you know, Plavsic is certainly more of the finesse skill guy, but he's got that size, he can block shots, he can get a rebound, and I do think that they're going to be able to exploit and use his skill and maybe make it even a go-to thing a little bit more at times um, you know, when they're in the half court uh, as they move forward. So it just, to me, it definitely changes the, the way uh, things look and their opportunity to go get a bid. Um, you know, I mean, I mean Viscovi as well. I mean, they, these are massive additions if you consider what this roster would be without them. Right now, most people have Tennessee right around that bubble line. If you look at the, the bracket uh, projectionists out there, and there's like a million now, just about everybody has them right around, you know, maybe in a play-in game type thing, right around there. Um, you know, they, they've got they've got a lot of opportunity ahead, and I really, I definitely like their chances a lot more today than I did, you know, a couple weeks ago. 
Yeah, I, I don't know about you, Joe. I only consume the athletics brackets and bubble watch coverage. So <laughs> I, you were a good I'm, company man, dude. I, yes. I won't name any stuff. of them. <laughs> <laughs> all that other stuff is relevant. It's just Eamon Brennan Hive right here. Uh, so anyway, I, I gotta say, I, I guess I expected maybe a little more from Plotsic, uh Maybe offensively. I, I think they're... You know, he was certainly more prepared than Santiago Vescovi was to come in here. He's been working out a lot, and, and he's been ready. I think he's really skilled. Um, but, yeah, this Fulkerson's played really, really well. I think there's a case for Fulkerson as, as the most valuable guy on this team right now. We've talked about that as well. Um, but I, I don't know. We'll see as he sort of gets used to the game. Um, but I, I think, it, you know, the, the immediate impact of Vescovi, who they just had to play because they didn't have a point guard, I think makes life a little harder for Plotsic, who I think is a rotational guy right now that, that is valuable for them. But when you just have this random 18-year-old kid who steps off a plane from Australia and walks onto the court <laughs> ready to go, and he's, you know, putting up 12, 15 points a game and draining threes, I think it's... Uh, Probably unfair to cast those same expectations on Plautzich, but we'll see how he matures. I, I think, um, you know, what his role is, and, and I think definitely, you know, if Fulkerson gets in foul trouble, which I, hasn't happened a ton, you know, at least you have an option behind him. Um, but we'll, we'll, it'll, I, I'm intrigued to see if we have this conversation again in March how we're talking about Plotsic. Because you can see, like, first of all, he he is just a presence down there. And I like his skill. I think he's still getting used to it. Um, but, but that guy that can step into the high post and knock down a jumper, I mean, we saw Grant Williams do that a whole lot. And Plotsic, obviously... Has very very little in common with Grant Williams, but that thing I think he can do, and that's I think that's valuable for a team that that is struggling to score just about every uh, every game. Maybe not as much as Vandy from three, but struggling to score nonetheless. <laughs> oh, uh, you Joe... had to get that in. You had to get that in. <laughs> I had to. Yeah, real... Joe, go ahead. Yeah, just real quick. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Plavsic, and, and again, like we're talking right before a game, and and there may be a big jump there. You know, two games. You know, thirteen and a half minutes. Um, it's not surprising to me that it's that it's uh, around there. You know, the, the thing that he can do that Fulkerson can't, to your point, you can bring another big guy away from the basket, and, and, and Fulkerson's not doing that. Fulkerson is going to go down there. He, he has some nice post moves. He can give you some buckets here and there. But he is not, he is not making another big guy come out of the paint, and Plavsic can do that, and I, I think that will be exploited more. And that's... Yes, he's not much like Grant Williams. Grant Williams could do everything, including just a tremendous back-to-the-basket game. But Grant Williams worked really hard to develop a jump shot to do just that, to open up the lane. And so just having a big who can do that, once you get him going, he hasn't taken a three yet, but he can shoot the three. And like I said, he can certainly shoot that mid-range jumper. The more that happens, then, then you know, they're things get a little less clogged and a little easier for them. And I do think that uh, in March, we'll be talking about a guy who's playing quite a bit more than he did in two games. You're probably right. I think it only goes up from here. Uh, Joe, I think on one of our first episodes, I forget which one exactly it was, we talked women's basketball. And we're back this week. UConn on Thursday. I'm excited about this game. Uh, I'll be watching. Uh, I, I will not be traveling to stores to cover it. But I will be watching... Are you surprised we haven't heard any any more chatter um, about this game and the and the uh, heated circumstances that surround it uh, heading in? Uh yeah, a little bit, I guess. And you I feel know, like there's I no mean, buzz. Honestly, yeah, and I think it's, 
I mean, the thing is, is this game is at UConn, and it is. I think it's great for the game and for both programs that this series is being renewed. It's still, and maybe Tennessee will prove us all wrong, but it looks like a bit of a mismatch on the road right now. Uh, you know, I, I think that, um, look, I think Kelly Harper, speaking of under the radar, he's done a really good job here in her first yeah. year, 15 and 3. Now, they look really good. In, incredible Renaya Davis bomb to um, you know, avoid a home loss to Alabama Monday. But she hit it, and she has that been. That was an awesome moment. Mm-hmm. She has been tremendous. Um, and this is a good Tennessee team that's going to be in the tournament, and I think you know we'll have a chance maybe to host, and that's really good in her first year. But you know, going to UConn, I mean, this isn't you know two top five teams battling. Maybe that will be the case soon again. And if this game were in Knoxville, I think it would be a little different too. You know, you have that home court, and maybe you have a better chance to spring a surprise. But I just, I don't know. I don't know if this game is going to be all that competitive, frankly. Yeah. Well, we'll see. It'd be a big win uh, if they can get it. Uh, I think it'll be interesting. It'll be an interesting um, uh, measuring stick for for them uh, and the program. And uh, maybe a little uh, little intrigue. We'll see. Well, if they hang in, if they hang in in this game, that is that is a a tremendous job. Um, And and you know, the thing is, this is a rivalry. It's 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 a historic rivalry, but I still think that the players on both sides will feel that they know the history. I mean, and they'll 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 be very well informed of it and reminded of it going into this game too. So I think you know you won't have any shortage of intensity on both sides in this game. The two biggest brands in the sport, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because I, like. There are certainly a lot of other great programs out there. I mean, Notre Dame has done so much, Muffin McGraw, to raise that profile. Stanford has been very good for a long time. Baylor, obviously, is excellent and has multiple titles. But, you know, Dawn Staley, South Carolina, a lot of other SEC programs, Mississippi State. Yeah, it's still Tennessee and UConn. It's still absolutely. Those are absolutely the two biggest brand names in the sport. And if Tennessee... Where to go? I don't know what the number is. You know, you go through any amount of time or longer amount of time where you're not getting to a Final Four, you're not a top ten team, you're not in that conversation. Maybe at some point that changes, but you're still talking about a place with tremendous fan support. Um, you know, still successful program. It's not like the football situation where it's a big, big drop off from what you were. Uh, but I will say that yeah, you know. The Lady Vols have to get it back there to getting to Final Fours, I guess, at some point to maintain that. Yeah. Uh, certainly not as, as uh, extended a fall as football as well. Uh, Joe, before we get out of here, two questions for you. One, did you get some Kansas City barbecue? And two, tell us about the best meal you had during the Titans' uh, playoff run. Well, I did. I did, in fact. Um you know, athletic Titans beat writer John Glennon and I and a few other media cohorts, we went to Jack Stack, which is a, just basically a, con- a convenience move. It was walkable. Um, got the burnt ends. Uh, outstanding. I, you know, the bur- I've had the burnt ends there before. They were awesome again. So that was great. But I would say the best meal, and this was John Harbaugh suggested, 
was Jimmy's Famous Seafood in Baltimore. He, he suggested this on a media teleconference. He didn't, like, text me and say, hey, man, you got to check this place out. Um, but the, the crab cakes at Jimmy's Famous Seafood, massive, I think eight-ounce crab cakes, but then they were, like, all crab. And I love crab cakes, and I've had great crab cakes that, you know, had a lot of other other stuff in them. But these crab cakes were so loaded with crab. I mean, actually, I was in pain uh, when we were done, but it was worth it. That was, uh, that was, now there's been some debate on my timeline, some people tweeting at me that, um, that that's not the best place for crab cakes in Baltimore. I think it's M&G. You know, a friend of mine was like, you know, M&G is the place to go. So, uh, you know, that'll, we'll try that next time. But I, I, I promise you, if you're in Baltimore and you, and you go to Jimmy's, you will not be going wrong. That sounds good. I've only been to Baltimore once. I took a road trip up the East Coast, like in college, and we went there and got some crab cakes. I don't remember the place we went. I I enjoyed it. I would not consider myself a, a authority on seafood or any of those things. Jack Stack, probably my least favorite of the elite Kansas City barbecue places, but there's like six of them there that are all fantastic. So, uh, Jack Stack, you can't go wrong. Uh, well, that will do it for this week's episode. Joe, thanks for joining us. A lot to cover this week. Uh, a lot to a lot to cover and. Uh, Again, if you like uh, the show, subscribe on uh, Apple's uh, podcast app or any other. We're on a bunch of platforms. Uh, rate us, review, you know, uh, all those things help the show and uh, bring more episodes of PFL. So again, for my co-host Joe Rexroad, I am David Ubbin. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys again very, very soon. <laughs>